Welcome to the Living Room Podcast. The Living Room is the college ministry at Buckhead Church in Atlanta, Georgia. For more information, you can check out the Living Room ATL on Instagram. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this talk. Come on. To our fam, what's up? How y'all feeling tonight? Everybody good? Everybody doing all right? Awesome. Well, again... We haven't met before. My name is Matt. I get to lead the living room here at Buckhead Church with an amazing team of people and so many incredible volunteers that help make this place what it is, help make the living room feel like a home away from home for so many of you, a place where you can belong and a place where you can connect with others in a similar season of, of life. And I'm really excited for tonight, but before we dive in with where we're headed, I want to kind of pause and let you know what's coming up the next couple of Monday nights at the living room. So first things first, uh, next Monday, we actually, Monday, October 11th, we are not having the living room, which I know is like a bummer. Um, but the reason we're taking next week off is because it's kind of like the midway point of the semester. For some of you, you're like, yeah, I know, like midterms are killing me, you know, like midterms are happening. For some of you, you have fall break coming up, or it's like, you know, some of you, it's even this like this week at UC, maybe others, but like, um, so it's just kind of a busy time of the semester, right? Like you have tests. Maybe some of you feel like, man, I am falling behind. Maybe, maybe some of you are like, no, nah, I just have a lot to do. Maybe some of you are like, I want to get ahead. Maybe some of you are even just thinking, man, I'm just going to like, I need to take a nap or like get to bed, you know, before 1 a.m. On a, on a random night. So next week, next Monday, we're not meeting in hopes that you will take advantage of that time and you'll catch up or get ahead, do whatever it is that you need to do. But then the following Monday, Monday, October 18th, we're going to make it up to you because we're going to have house party at the living room. Now listen, okay, house party is something we do every fall at the living room. And if you've been to house party, you know what I'm talking about. It's always a night that's kind of crazy. Like every Monday night's awesome, but I'm telling you house party is just one of those Monday nights uh, every fall semester that like you don't want to miss. It's always an incredible night. We always have some special surprises planned. Uh, This house party in particular for the very first time at a house party, we get to uh, celebrate baptism with quite a few people from this family. Um, So we get to celebrate with them as they take their next step in their faith with Jesus. We get to hear parts of their stories. It's gonna be incredible. And then I promise you, uh, we're gonna have some special things in store. The room is gonna feel a little bit different. The stage might feel a little bit different. So it's a night that you don't wanna miss. And it's a really outstanding, great opportunity for you to bring someone with you, maybe someone that's never been before. It's intentionally this night is gonna feel like what we title it. It's gonna feel like a party. So it's gonna be awesome. I'm just telling you, you don't wanna miss that house party at the living room on Monday. October 18th. But tonight, tonight we are wrapping up this series that we've been in for the past couple of weeks called Started in DMs, Now We're Here. Started in DMs, Now We're Here. And just to catch you up to speed with where we've been, part one of this series, uh, we talked about dating. Part two, Gerald Fatayomi was with us last week and he did an incredible job talking about singleness. And um, tonight we get to uh, wrap up this series in part three. And tonight we're going to be talking about sex. Yeah, some of you said it with me. Some of you knew. Others of you were like, yo, what? Why'd you bring me, bro? It's cool. It's cool. Let me actually give you like my aim for tonight. Okay, just to kind of let you like breathe, which I'm going to encourage all of you. Like, and, and, and by the way, thank you. Like when I said the word sex, usually people are like, they just start like dying laughing or something. And I don't know, then I'm going to have to like say it four more times. Like sex, sex, sex. Get it. We're going to say it a lot tonight. That's what we're talking about. Um, but here's my aim. My aim is not to tell you what you need to do. So just know from the top, I'm not up here saying, hey, this is how you need to live your life. It's your life, not mine. You're an adult, you can make your own decisions. 
So that's not my aim. That's not my hope or my goal is to tell you like what you need to do. My aim, my goal is not to put shame on you. My aim is not to act like, like I've got it all figured out. So just listen to me, the expert. No, 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 that's not it. Really my aim, my goal, my hope for tonight is that I can propose to you a sexual ethic. And what I mean by sexual ethic is like a way that you live, a way that you view this area of your life, a sexual ethic that has the potential to bring about a whole lot more freedom and joy in this area of your life and a whole lot less pain, shame, and regret. Which my guess is, regardless of what sexual ethic you're currently living by, regardless of what you believe on this topic, my guess is all of you would say, man, if there's an opportunity for me to experience more freedom and joy in this area of my life and an opportunity for me to experience even just a little bit less pain, shame, and regret, then Matt, I'm at least willing to engage in this conversation. And I just wanna say one more thing up top. I have like 25 minutes left in this talk, okay? Which is not enough time to talk about the topic of sex. So I'm just gonna tell you up top, like I'm not going to like get to talk about everything to the extent that maybe you want me to talk about it. We're gonna like kind of skim over some things, but I hope that this talk is helpful in this area for you. And for many of us, when we think about sex, when I bring up the topic of sex, for many of you, the, the narrative that you've kind of been told throughout the majority of your life, especially if you grew up in the church, especially if you grew up in a Christian family, the narrative that maybe you were told, the primary narrative at least, was this right here. Do not have sex. Just don't do it. Like it kind of felt like dare, you know, where it was like, just D, I won't do drugs. You know what I'm talking about? Y'all know dare? Was that a thing? Okay, yeah, I won't sing the song. Um, but the song was like the best part for me, um, honestly. I didn't like go on to do drugs. Anyways, uh, but, but maybe for you, that's kind of how it's felt. Like, hey, just don't have sex. Stay away from it. And let me just say this. This also is not going to be just a just say no to sex message. While that might be pretty good advice, I think that can also potentially be dangerous advice because if that's the advice that you've received pretty much your whole life and that was kind of the extent of it, just say no, just say no, just say no, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, then you could start to think that sex is a bad thing when the reality is sex was God's idea. Like God created sex. He thought this whole thing up to which maybe some of you are like, bro, I, I never even knew that. Like what? Like, this is a weird thought. Well, let me prove it to you in the very beginning, the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter one. God created the heavens and the earth. He created the plants, the sun, the stars, the water, the sky, everything that we see. Then he created human beings and he said it was good. He created man and woman. And then look at what he says in Genesis chapter one, verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, I want you to be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Now, this was not an agricultural statement. Okay, God, God was literally saying, hey, I've created man and woman, and I want you to like, go make it happen, you know? Like fill the earth, have babies, you know? And take, take care of it, subdue the earth, you know? Do, take care of your responsibilities. So God created this, sex was his idea. Sex is a really, really good thing. And I just believe that we cannot allow the world to define what God has designed. Like we can't allow the world to define what God thought of and designed. 
And the world has taken something that God created, something that was supposed to be so good, something that he created with amazing intentions, and the world has taken it and distorted it. And this is what sin does, right? Like sin distorts things. Sin, sin makes things something that they were never intended to be. And sex has been used in ways that God never intended for it to be used. So why are we talking about this tonight? Well, simply put, because the world already is. We're not bringing up a new conversation tonight. No, we're speaking in, we're entering into, quite honestly, an existing dialogue. And the church should not be silent. We can't be silent about something God spoke into existence. And the reality for every single person in this room, whether you know it or not, my reality, your reality, is this right here. We live in a hypersexualized culture that is distorting our, our view of sex and feeding our sexual appetite. We live in a hypersexualized culture that is distorting our view of sex and feeding our sexual appetite, making us think whether we want to or not, like, man, I have these sexual desires that need to be met right away. I shouldn't have to wait. And for many of us, Maybe we didn't realize it, but we've developed a consumer mentality when it comes to our sexual desires. Like again, I have these desires, maybe God-given sexual desires that should be met immediately. I shouldn't have to wait. In fact, let me just read a few statistics to you that I think kind of support what I'm saying here. So check this out. First statistic, these are real. I didn't make these up. Porn sites, Pornography, I think this is a big part of it. Porn sites receive more regular traffic every single year than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. Staggering, right? 35% of all internet downloads are porn-related. That's a ton of downloads. Check this out. The porn industry's annual revenue, so the amount of money every single year that the porn industry brings in, it's more than the NFL, NBA, and MLB combined. Which if you don't know, you're like, what do those abbreviations stand for? Um, the NFL is the National Football League, so professional football. The NBA, National Basketball Association, professional basketball. MLB, Major League Baseball, so professional baseball. Porn industry every year makes more than all three of those combined. And 11 is the average age someone is first exposed to porn and 94% of children will have seen porn by the age of 14. By the time they get to high school, 94%. Just a couple more. 33% of women 25 and under search for porn at least once a month. So I put that one in there because it's not just exclusively a male thing. And then the last one, and this is not necessarily porn related, but I think this applies, is that 50% of marriages currently in the United States will end in divorce, roughly. 50%. Now, those statistics are startling, right? Maybe you've never heard those stats before. Maybe it's like hard to believe. But you know what I think is one of the main things driving that? It's lust. Lust takes our God-given sexual desires and it adds selfishness into the equation. Lust is self-centered and it always overpromises, but yet underdelivers, And it makes us think, it makes us have the sexual ethic that if I'm not getting what I want, if it's not working out for me, if it doesn't work out for me, then it's just on to the next. 
Like I'm just gonna move on. If I'm not getting what I want, then I'll just move on and I'll find another way to get that need met. And when you read these statistics and the list could have went on and on and on, I just chose six of them. I could have read to you about 60 of them. When you hear those statistics, and honestly, when you just kind of stop and evaluate the world around you, evaluate your own life, evaluate some of the lives and the relationships of the people that you know close to you, I think a lot of us, if we were being honest, would say, man, something has to change. Like, this isn't working. Something has to change. And, and maybe the narrative around sex for you throughout the majority of your life, maybe it hasn't been just say no, don't do it. Maybe it's been the next level of that. It's been this, hey, just don't have sex until marriage, right? Like, hey, we're not saying you, you can't have sex for your entire life, but just don't have sex until you're married. And I think more and more of us believe that this view, that this sexual ethic of waiting to have sex until you're married, come on, lean in. More and more of us would say that that view is outdated and unrealistic. Like I'm not naive to think that there's a lot of you in the room right now that are nodding along with me mentally saying, yeah, Matt, that's how I feel. Like, come on, bro, it's 2021. Waiting to have sex until you're married is unrealistic. Like, it just doesn't happen, Matt. It's fun to talk about, and I get it. It's like what you're supposed to say, but like that sexual ethic, it, Matt, it's not even possible. Maybe that's what you're thinking. And to be honest, it seems that there are fewer and fewer people, Christians included, who hold the viewpoint that sex is reserved for marriage. And many who do hold that sexual ethic that you should wait until marriage, they violated their own sexual ethic. And then what do we do? When we violate our own sexual ethic that we should wait till marriage, we're usually, not all the time, but usually really quick to like justify our actions, really quick to be like, well, these are the reasons that I did. But then when others violate the same sexual ethic, we're really quick to judge them for what they just did. The very same thing. And to be honest, I think a big reason why so many of us would say like, this sexual ethic, waiting until you're married to have sex, why so many of us would say that's like outdated, unrealistic, not even possible. It's because the reasons that we were given were simply not very convincing or compelling. Like the reasons that you were given, don't do it, don't do it until marriage, it just wasn't that convincing or compelling. Maybe you've heard things like, hey, and I'm gonna be honest tonight. I forgot to say that up top too, but here's where I'm gonna get really honest. Um, maybe you've heard things like, if you wait to have sex until you're married, then guess what? Your marriage is going to be amazing. You're gonna have the best marriage possible. It's a guarantee. And here's what I wanna say to you. That could be true, but it might not be true. If you wait to have sex until, married, until you're married, it doesn't guarantee that your marriage is gonna be awesome. I know people who have waited to have sex until they're married and their marriage is great. I also know people who have waited to have sex until, married, until they're married and they're divorced. I know people who have had sex before they got married and their marriage isn't working out. And I know people who have had sex before they were married and their marriage is thriving. Maybe you've heard if you wait to have sex until you're married, then you're gonna have the best sex life imaginable. Like, you're gonna have the best sex ever. Again, that could be true, but it's not a guarantee. Maybe you've heard things like, well, 
you know, if, if you have sex before you're married, then what's going to happen is once you do get married, you're going to always be comparing your spouse to other people. That statement could have some validity to it. I'm not saying that's not true, but if you're going to hold that logic, then shouldn't you take it all the way back even to like, I don't know if it's good to date because if you date someone and it doesn't work out, then guess what? One day with your future spouse who you might marry, you might compare their cooking to your ex's cooking. Or you might compare the dates that you now go on and how fun they are to how fun the dates used to be that you went on with your ex. So comparing your spouse to others may not be like logic that holds up either. So what then does waiting to have sex until marriage guarantee you? That's the question I'm putting on the table. I think what it guarantees you is that you'll be a virgin until you're married. Like, I think that's about it. I think that's what it guarantees you, that if you wait to have sex until you're married, you will indeed be a virgin until you are married. But we don't wait to have sex until we're married because it guarantees us something in return. This is not the primary reason that God designed sex for the context of marriage. In fact, if you are taking that, that, if that's your perspective and that's why you uphold this sexual ethic in your life, then I think that could be like a version of the prosperity gospel, which maybe you're like, what's that? Well, the prosperity gospel is when you believe that if you're obedient to God, it's, it's for the primary reason that you'll get things in return. Maybe you've seen like those preachers on TV who are like, yo, sow a seed into my ministry. Give this certain amount of money and you're gonna get these blessings in return. Check your mailbox within five to seven days and you're gonna be amazed what kind of check you have in that mailbox if you just sow this seed. That's, that's a version of the prosperity gospel. And if you think, man, I'm gonna have the sexual ethic of waiting until I'm married because of what I'm gonna get in return, I don't think that's the right mindset. Because... What I wanna tell you is that, and hear me on this, let me finish my point. Like don't take a picture of this and then go post this and be like, this is what our pastor thinks. <laughs> Marriage alone does not automatically make sex holy. Now stick with me, here's why. Let me just ask you a question. You don't have to answer out loud, please don't. <laughs> you don't even know the question I'm gonna ask you. It's a rhetorical question. Is it possible to be married and have sex that is manipulative? The answer is yes, it's possible. Is it possible to be married but yet use sex in a way to weaponize? Yep. Is it possible to be married but still have selfish sex, sex that is self-centered. It's just focused on you and your own desires. You're not caring at all or taking into account at all the other person. Is it possible to be married and still have abusive sex? Is it possible to be married but still having sex that is non-consensual? The answer to all of those is yes, it's possible. So marriage alone does not automatically make sex holy. And let me just touch base, not move forward too quick on consent, okay? Here's how I'm defining consent. Consent is a willful agreement to engage in sexual acts, hold up, always consisting of an independent and clear yes between two people. You're gonna get to clap in a second if you want to. Hear me clearly on this. This is a really, really big deal. 
and something that does not need to be dismissed ever. If someone does not give you a clear and understood yes, whether it's sex or any other type of sexual intercourse, okay? If someone does not give you a clear and understood, undoubtedly, this was their answer, yes, then the answer is no, period. Hear me on that. Hear me on that. And this is so important because some of you may not be willing to lean into the sexual ethic that I'm gonna wait. And so knowing that, I just wanna let you know, hey, this is a big, 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 big deal. Consent is a big deal. And if someone does not give a clear yes, then the answer is no. Now, on the other side, is it possible to have sex outside of marriage that is kind, consensual, selfless, even others focused? I would say I think it could be possible. But hear me, the point that I'm making is not that sinful married sex justifies unmarried sex. That's not my point. The point that I'm making is simply that marriage alone doesn't automatically make sex holy or righteous or even God honoring. So then what does? What does, why is marriage important? Because I want you to hear me clearly in this. I believe that marriage is important. The scriptures are clear, the Bible is clear. Marriage is important, like this is the sexual ethic that God has laid out, but why? What's the reason? Well, I think God has actually given us a framework or a filter, if you will, for how we should develop all of our ethics in life, including our sexual ethic. And he laid it out in Mark chapter 12. Check this out. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. By the way, I forgot to set this up. This was after he was asked the question, hey, what's like the greatest commandment? Like sum it up for us. So that's the first thing he said is love God with with everything you have. And he said, the second is like it. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. So love God and love others. He said, you cannot separate the two. Like you can't love God, but hate his people. This would be like some of you coming to me being like, yo, Matt, bro, like you're awesome, man. I love you for real, man. You're my guy, but man, I hate your kids. I can't stand your two daughters, bro. Like, can we just talk about that? You wouldn't be cool with me. I would be like, hold up, what'd you just say? You love me, but you hate my children? Now let's, if that's me and I'm an imperfect father, let's think about God, a perfect heavenly father. And you could come, it's possible for you to come in here. I wouldn't even plan on saying this, but I'm just gonna go there. It's possible for you to come in on Monday nights and be like, Jaira, you are, I'm a pretty good singer, wow. Um, Get me up here sometime, guys. But you could be singing praises to God and then walk out of these doors and immediately start gossiping about that guy or girl that you can't stand. And do you think that's pleasing to God? No, you you can't love God and be good with God, but hate his people, hate his children. So this ethic right here, this filter, this framework, apparently says, hey, waiting for marriage somehow is the best way to love God and to love others. So how does waiting to have sex until marriage elevate the value of another person? How does not waiting to have sex until marriage potentially devalue the other person? Well, let me just say this in a relationship, and come on, you know this deep, deep down. In a relationship, sex changes things. Why? Because sex is holistic. 
Sex is not just physical. Sex is not just a physical act. Let me try to prove it to you. I told you I'm not gonna be able to dive in as much on anything that I want to. I wish I could spend more time on this, but it's not just physical. If it were, then why is there something known as the walk of shame? If it's just a physical act, if it's just something that you do, it's not a big deal. Then how come when you wake up in the morning and you walk to go get breakfast, how come that's not called the walk of shame? If sex is just physical, then why would some of you say, man, I'm not holding the sexual ethic that I'm gonna wait till marriage, but I am gonna wait till like that special someone, like someone I really care about. Why? If it's just physical, then why does it matter who it's with? If sex is just physical, and this could be tough, but then why is it that for so many of you, your greatest regret in life is linked back to something sexual? Because it's not just physical. You know this deep, deep down. Sex is three-dimensional. It involves your mind, body, and your soul. It's physical, emotional, and spiritual. There is no such thing as casual sex, no matter how casual the people may be about it. There's no such thing. Sex involves all aspects of a person's humanity. You have to take all aspects of a person's humanity into account before you sleep with that person. Sex says, I'll never commit to one part of you without committing to all of you. And this is why, this is why sex was designed for the context of marriage. Because marriage is the public declaration. It's your public declaration of your commitment to another person's full humanity. And it's in marriage, it's only in marriage that you have already made the commitment that sex is designed to reflect. Like sex involves a full person's humanity, their mind, body, and soul. And marriage is you saying, hey, I'm committing to all of you forever. So sex is a reflection of that. It's only designed to be experienced to its fullest potential within the context of marriage. This is why God says, hey, this is the most fulfilling, this is the most freeing, this is the most joyful sexual ethic. To wait until marriage. And waiting is about communicating you value the full worth of another person. God's design for sex is not repressive, it's freeing. And even if you're in the room or you know some people who are like, man, I'm not gonna like take up that sexual ethic, I'm just not there, that's okay. But even if that's you, people who do, I don't think like they should be judged and shamed for it. Like, I think people who do hold that ethic, that should be commendable. That should be like, man, good for you. Good for you, guy. Good for you, girl, whoever you are. Like, that's amazing that you uphold that sexual ethic, that you value other people enough to say, I'm gonna do what it takes, because it's not easy. Like, stepping into that sexual ethic is not an easy thing to do. It's possible. Hear me, it's possible. But it's not easy. The Apostle Paul says this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, he says, flee from sexual immorality. He says, run from sexual immorality, run from sexual sin. Why? Because sexual sin will never travel alone. It always comes with a plus one or a plus two or a plus three. Sexual sin always will come with things like lie. You know this, deceit, regret, shame, doubt, fear, worry. That's what comes with sexual sin. Paul goes on, he says this, he says, all other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. 
So Paul says, hey, sexual sin is, is different. Like you can steal something from someone and that just harms them, but you're good. Sexual sin is you sinning against your own body. It's different. And he says, this is why. He said, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. See, culture wants us to believe that sex isn't that big of a deal. But if this were true, then why would Paul say this? This would make absolutely no sense. And maybe some of you are like, Matt, here's the thing. Waiting to have sex is, is too difficult. It's too hard. Like regardless if you've crossed that line already or not, maybe you'd say like, man, it's, it's just too hard, man. It's, it's, it's not possible. But let me just ask you a question. And please, please hear, like, I love y'all so much for real. Like I really do. My wife could, could attest to that. Like you guys are family to me. I view you as like some of my closest friends, as little brothers and little sisters. So hear me on this. If that's your thinking, it's too difficult. Then let me just ask you this. Why is it that you might be willing to share your body before you get married, but you won't share your bank account? Why is that? And I'm not saying like, some of you are like, bro, I do share my bank account. I pay for her meals all the time. Like I just bought her shoes yesterday, okay. But why don't you just share it all? Share the bank account, share your car, share whatever asset you have. Well, it's because you put value on that. And you're like, yo, yo, if we get married, then I might consider that. There are some people who are married who still don't even share their bank account with one another. It's because they put value on that. And they're not willing to give that up until they get, until the relationship gets to a certain point. Can I just say this? Come on, you know where I'm going with this. A person is far more valuable than an asset. A person is far more valuable than an asset. So hey, hear me on this. We don't wait for marriage because it guarantees us something. We wait because it elevates someone. So as I wrap up, let me just say a few things. Number one, you cannot effectively fight sin in the dark. So to the guy or the girl in the room who is struggling with a sexual sin, and maybe it feels like you are continually being beat down to the point you feel like there is no way you're ever gonna be able to overcome this struggle with this sin in your life. Like it's just gonna dog you for the rest of your life. Can I just tell you, you're not gonna be able to effectively fight that sin in the dark. So what do you need to do? You gotta bring it to the light. Is that gonna be hard? Absolutely. Is it gonna be worth it? I think so. How do you do that? Well, you've gotta let someone else in. You don't need to tell everybody everything, but you do gotta tell somebody everything. Second thing is, is this, invite God into your situation and then embrace the struggle. So let me explain. Invite God into your situation. He already knows what your situation is going, is looking like. So just invite him in. And let me be really clear about this. God is not disappointed in you. He's not. God is proud of you. 
Yeah, there's consequences for your actions. Yeah, he hates sin, but he loves you. He's proud of you. My daughters, when they sin in their life, when they mess up, I'm not like over there cheering being like, great job. But I'm also not like, I hate you. Win my favor back. I love them no matter what. I love Willow and Nomi no matter what. And again, if that's me, an imperfect father, how much more does your perfect heavenly father love you? So invite him in and then embrace the struggle. Hey, if, if you're struggling with the sin, that could be good news. It at least means you're trying. Because if you weren't struggling, then that means you're not even trying. So embrace the struggle. The final thing is this, receive the grace of God that restores and redeems. Oh my goodness, this is so important. Receive the grace of God that restores and redeems. There are some of you in the room that you have such deep hurt in this area of your life from something that you've done or honestly from something that's been done to you. And you need to know that the grace of God restores the grace of God can heal the deepest wound in your life. And not only that, the grace of God redeems, the grace of God shouts down whatever lies the enemy is trying to throw your way. And the grace of God says, no, 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 there's hope for their future. No, 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 I haven't given up on them. No, there's purpose. No, they can win even in this area of your life, of their life. The grace of God is the most powerful thing imaginable on planet earth. It restores and redeems. I could tell you story after story after story of people who felt like there were, was no hope for their life, specifically in this area of their life because of a sexual sin that they committed or a sexual sin that was committed against them. But yet they put their faith and trust in Jesus and they let him work and they saw that the grace of God has the power to restore and redeem any situation, no matter how broken it may be. You might be in the middle of a broken chapter, a broken scene in your story, but God loves to redeem. God loves to redeem. God loves to turn the page and say, hey, I can write a new heading into your story that you never thought possible. There's hope for your future. I'm for you, I'm with you, come on. So if you messed up, do you feel like you've already failed in this area of your life? Good news, there's hope. It's not too late. You can decide today the story that you wanna tell tomorrow. Maybe tonight, like this could be a turning point for you. So, so, so as we close, and I know I'm going a couple minutes long, I'm sorry ahead of time, but as we close, there's somebody in the room, maybe a bunch of you in the room tonight. I've been praying for this all night long. Our team's been praying for this. There's someone in the room that needs to put their faith and trust in Jesus tonight for the very first time. And you need to invite, receive the grace of God that restores and redeems. So if that's you, I'm just gonna flip this around. Normally I have you bow your heads. We do this in privacy. Um, if that's you, I'm just gonna ask if you'd be courageous enough and we're gonna withhold applause for just a second. No one is staring at you. We are gonna, we wanna celebrate with you. But if that's you tonight, you wanna put your faith and trust in Jesus for the first time, right where you are, would you just stand to your feet if that's you? Anyone in the room that tonight says, I need to put my faith and trust in Jesus tonight, Matt, for the very first time. Anybody in the room? Thank you for your courage, that's amazing. 
She led the way. Is there anybody else that would say, man, that's me? I know it seems like your heart might be pounding out of your chest right now, but if that's you, just take the step. Come on. Yeah. See y'all. Y'all can stay standing. Yeah, come on. Come on. Woo! Can I just lead y'all, y'all and whoever, see you. Can I just lead y'all in this prayer real quick? You can just say this silently. You don't have to say it out loud. Just say, Heavenly Father, say, I confess that I'm a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. Say, I believe that you sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for my sins. And tonight, I'm choosing to place my faith and trust in Jesus' death and resurrection. And I want to follow Jesus from this day forward the best way that I know how. In Jesus' name. Hey, come on, come on, one more time to you last thing. That's amazing. Woo, come on, yeah. Woo. Unbelievable, y'all can take a seat. Hey, listen, this is my encouragement to all of you who just made that decision, whether you stood or not. Would you tell someone? If you're in a small group tonight, I mean this, when you first get to small group, would you just immediately interrupt whatever's happening and just say, hey, Tonight I made a decision. Small group leader, if you saw one of your students tonight make a decision, bring that up and y'all celebrate it. Like if you wanna go get ice cream at the end of the night, just do it and I'll pay you back. I don't know how that's gonna work, but I will. Um, But that's amazing. That's amazing, y'all. There is grace that restores and redeems. So hey, in just a moment, um, you guys are gonna be dismissed to, to small groups. A lot of you are headed that way. Some of you are like, I'm not in a small group, Matt, but I would love to get a taste of one tonight. Small group is just an opportunity to kind of talk about what God might be doing in your life in a really non-intimidating way. Um, So if you're not in a group and you want a taste of a group tonight, um, we have something called pop-up group that meets right across the hall in the studio. If, if, if there's too many people that go, then we'll probably move it to the room right next to it, the theater, but you can go to the studio first. Um, and then the last thing is, we can't wait to see y'all in two weeks on Monday, October 18th for house party. But TLR family, for real, We love you so much. We believe in you. We're for you. Have an amazing rest of your week and you're dismissed. Thanks for listening and we hope you enjoyed the message. If you want to stay connected, follow us on Instagram at The Living Room ATL. Remember TLR fam, we love you, we're for you, and we'll see you next time.